This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I've been an economist for 50 years. I went through the Great Recession. I have never seen such raging incompetence ever. But it's, it's notable that 80% of the overshoot of, over the target at that point is due to energy and tradable goods. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. Well, if the West decouples itself from China and other autocratic regimes, just as we have done to an extent with Russia, what does that mean for international trade? What does it mean for international investment if we exclude money from countries that are growing faster than we are? And by we, of course, we mean anywhere in the West because the world is split between high growth autocratic regimes and slow growth democracies. Maybe we should just appoint a dictator. Would that fix the problem? Meanwhile, how is world trade impacted if there's a divide between the BRICS nations and the West? That's this week on the Debunking Economics podcast. So Polar has really asked, any chance you could talk about foreign debts and how this works? Also, what impacts are likely to occur as the global South, BRICS, etc., mm. uh, move to payments in their own currencies instead of US dollars mm. or bartering? So, um, which is interesting, he goes on to something else talking about uh, the, the price of things, mm. which, which we might talk about on a separate podcast, but just his, his first part of his question. Mm. So, uh, first of all, you know, the, the definition of, of debt which obviously is very different to a trade deficit. So a, so a country can have debt, but could be operating a, a trade surplus. So so Germany has a trade surplus of 220 um, billion US dollars, mm. but it's got 6 trillion in debt. So is there any relationship between surplus and debt, or are they two disconnected things? Well, they're disconnected, but in a combobulated way, because, right. I mean, uh, what people can people call, like, we talk about governments having debt. Mm. Governments, if, if you're looking at a particular country like, well, not like Germany, because it doesn't have its own currency anymore, but if you look at Britain, uh, which, for all this other mistakes, still has its own currency, uh, then what is called government debt, like bonds that have been sold by the government to cover the deficit and interest payments on the deficit. So there'll be necessarily bonds outstanding, which could be a large percentage of GDP, um, but they're not, they're not debt in the same sense that you've borrowed money and you've got to pay it back to somebody else. Mm. Um, uh, you know, so with, with the government debt... And the, so the government could be borrowing a great deal to try and pay for social services? No, like. it's, no, no. It, it's the government is spending a great deal. Right. By spending a great deal, then it has it, it spends more than it gets back in taxes. It's required by, by laws passed by the parliament, not by any, you know, I mean, not by, I saw a wonderful, I, I watched the Tesla um, 
launch back on March the 1st or summaries of the whole thing. And I noticed that one of those sayings inside Tesla is that there are laws of physics, everything else is a recommendation. <laughs> now, so this is a recommendation, the laws we have, in, uh, and those those laws recommend that a government that runs a, spends more than it takes back in taxes, i.e. a government which creates fiat money, has to issue bonds equivalent to the gap between the two. And so that's what the government does. So, uh, you know, if, if, the, if, the, if the British government runs a, you know, a, a deficit of, let, let's say, for the heck of the number, not because it's what they do, a trillion pounds, then they have to issue a trillion pounds worth of bonds. Mm. Now, where, who, how are the bonds bought? When the trillion pounds of, of, of de- deficit spending goes into people's bank accounts, then a trillion pounds of reserves turns up in the bank accounts as well, which don't which earn a, a lower rate of interest, like say maybe a two percent rate of interest. And then the government says, well, "We're going to issue bonds. We're going to offer two and a quarter percent on the bonds. Yeah. Would you like to convert the two across?" Okay, so it, it is. It is not borrowing, and I wish I could finance my spending that way. Okay, but I'd need to become a money creator to do it. And I believe that's illegal unless you happen to be the country. Uh, I think you'd get found out pretty quickly. But so, but that be, would, yeah. but that would, when you're looking at that number though, trying to get this this difference yeah. between a, a, a trading surplus or a trading deficit versus the the debt which has been carried. So the debt yeah. would be, but you would well, be so counting the, those the, those bonds would be counted as. The dead bonds are counted as debt, debt, but that's domestic debt. However, yeah. then what you get happening with central banks, and this is a global phenomenon for central banks, they buy a diversified, by diversified portfolio of other countries' debts to have part of their asset banking for the central bank itself. So what you'll and and then of course where you, like if you have uh, the central bank of uh, Germany. Yeah. Okay, buying bonds issued by the Bank of England, then the Bank of England is a part of the the money created by the the Treasury to service that debt. So again, when interest payments are made, that again is something which is also covered by bond issue. Uh, the British government's creating those pounds; they get sent as income to the central bank of Germany. But again, that's money creation by the by the. Um, British uh, government. British government. Yeah. Okay. okay. So it does cause an outflow of money from the from the British economy to the German economy. But the 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 whole the, the, the fact you've got this foreign debt ends up being governments, central banks around the world buying a portfolio of each other's governments' bonds as part of the overall asset backing. So it ends up being very, very different to when you actually have an investment, you know, you have a development project you want to do, you don't have the revenue, and you then go to the World Bank um, or go to private lenders to borrow that money, then you do have to service a debt in another currency with your own own money. So you, to really dive into that, that you know, foreign debt figures, you'd need to see to what extent is this uh, bonds mm. issued by one country held by the central bank of another. Right. But that's the, that's the, but then what that also be what's happening in the private sector influencing the, the yeah, and, and then whether people are borrowing the only reason like if you borrow money um, in a, in foreign currencies in, in mm. foreign currency mm. uh, as as a private corporation it's because you need that foreign currency to buy goods made in another country mm. okay you don't borrow it to buy you don't borrow Australian American dollars uh, in England to buy English goods. Okay, so it's a very, very different situation when you've when you're borrowing a foreign currency as a non-government entity, than you're doing it to buy foreign goods. 
So there's no no direct correlation. Sorry? There's no direct correlation No direct there. correlation. It's a Between real mess. You really untangle that stuff. You need to dive in very, very deeply and see who's holding the debt. Uh, is the debt actual loans or is it bonds? Mm. Um uh, you know, it's a it's a very big mess, and the, whereas the trade deficit is much more straightforward. Yeah, uh, even that though involves a huge amount of you know financial transfers because if you if you do have outstanding debt, then yes, that is part of your outflow. Uh, the interest servicing costs and and the the volume of money that's involved in asset speculation far exceeds the volume involved in in trade. So what actually is setting your exchange. Uh, you know, the value of a currency is more driven by speculation by a factor of 10 or 20 than it is by trade flows. So you, trade flows end up being fairly straightforward to discuss in one sense, but very murky when you try to relate them to the financial well, if you, position. If, so if you've got uh, sort of foreign direct investment happening, then that mm. would be that, that investment would be counted as debt, presumably, for in, in the country that is issuing that investment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you'd be quite happy to see to take that in, that investment to try and incre- increase your trade surplus, for example, or to incre- improve your trade position because you want to increase the productivity of your of your country. I think what we're saying is at the end of this, the, the complex international flows in in debt and trade, but we do know, of course, that that trade figure. Always has to balance out to zero. For so the someone, globe, for the yeah. globe. Yeah. So someone's surplus is someone else's, someone else's deficit. So I wonder how that will change. Which is getting back to Polar's question, mm. uh, and, uh, and of course there's there's also the fact of the importance of the American dollar in so much of that well, trade this, as well. This is, I mean, this this is one thing which um, you look back and and say well, what would have happened if America hadn't won not World War Two but the Bretton Woods mm. uh, because the decision. The, the proposal that Keynes put on the table at uh, Bretton Woods, and it, it was the, you know, the most serious contributor intellectually, was to create an international currency called the Bancor. Yeah. And that would have been the currency for international trade. And Harry Dexter White, who was the chief of the American delegation, and probably under orders from the Americans as well, but... I, mean, I don't. I don't know enough of the history of, of Bretton Woods. To what extent was that? A, was that an individual pressure from Harvey, from Dexter White, or was it was a government policy for the Americans? But what that meant was the American dollar became the currency for international trade. So you had to have American dollars to get in, involved in international trade, and therefore you to actually engage in the trade. You've got to. If you don't actually have a trade surplus yourself, you've got to borrow the dollars. Mm. So what that does is ultimately. Inflate the value of the American dollar. You don't, don't you look if you if you want British pounds after the Second World War, then you want British pounds to buy British goods. But if you want American dollars after the Second World War, you want American dollars to be able to take place in international trade at all. And so that gives you a need to have a debt in effect in American dollars, just so that you can function in global trade. That debt should be. Uh, well, A, A shouldn't exist, and B, it should be something based on your holdings of Bancor uh, in, the, in, in, the, in the International Monetary Fund, which is not the world we ended up in, thanks to Harry Dexter White. Yeah, and you wonder what, how different that world would be. I mean, for example, uh, Russia probably wouldn't uh, uh, have quite so much uh, of, of an attitude against the US. It's possible we wouldn't have had, we would be in the midst of a war. Yeah. Uh, those those BRICS nations might not be looking at alternatives to using the US dollar yeah. if, if we weren't so reliant on the US I think a dollar. huge part of our mess is the fact we do have the American dollar as, as, as the basis of trade. And it also 
uh, has undermined the American manufacturing sector because we, in this, you know, one of the best people on this is Giannis Varoufakis when he, with his idea of what he calls the global minotaur. And he said to maintain a system in which a national currency is used for international trade, then the rest of the world has to be borrowing that money. And that's a large part of the figures you're going to be looking at that mm. Paul is curious about as well. So you've got to borrow American dollars to have American dollars to get involved in trade. And that, therefore, means there's more demand for American dollars over and above the demand for American goods, which means you strengthen the financial sector and weaken the industrial so sector. So 40% of all transactions on the planet are in US dollars. Yeah. And the US is involved in, so whether you're buying or selling, 10% of all trade. Mm. So four times as much yeah, than a huge, the actual huge difference. And that gives you a completely distorted system. It's a large part of why we've had a financialized global economy. It's the reason where the power for the financial sector has come from. So if Harry Dexter White, and I'm going to, I've got to really check and, and read the history of Bretton Woods properly, uh, because I, I'd like to know the extent to which it was individual and the extent to which it was government policy. Clearly, you had to get government approval. But the outcome of that was, was, it just, was it's just like where Keynes said the terms of the First World War set up the conditions for the Second World War. In some ways, Bretton Woods, as it was executed versus how it was supposed to be, has set up the terms for the financialization of the post-war economy and now the pressure for China and Russia and, and uh, the other countries to break away from American dominance. Yeah. So the idea of Bancor, just for those who have, I mean, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, we've spoken about it lots of times, but the, mm. the whole idea behind that mm. was that we didn't, we didn't trade in the US dollar, there was a... There we was traded a, an international currency guns. called a Bancor. The Bancor would have been a fixed relationship to each country's currency. So like maybe one American dollar might have been one Bancor and uh, one uh, and two British pounds might have been one Bancor, that, that sort of relationship. Uh, and then you had to maintain... The, the Bancors it would, would have been issued by... I think it was the International Monetary Fund. That was the vision that came. What became the International Monetary Fund was, in Keynes' model, the generator of bank cores, and they'd be issued proportional to the size of the economy. So if your economy grew faster than another economy over time, you get more bank cores issued to reflect that. But if you ran a trade deficit, of course, you'd run out of bank cores, mm. and then you'd be forced to devalue. But equally, if you're running a surplus, you were forced to uh, par partly... You'd, the, the surplus itself would be taxed, by the IMF, and the tax would have been used as a way of distributing income to developing economies. So the whole thing was about trying to avoid beggar thy neighbour policies. And like one point, people. But know, it does sound a bit like the IMF behaving like a central bank, but on a global scale. Yeah, exactly. It? And that, that that's. The, but that's a bit of a worry, isn't it? Well, not it's worse with what it's done instead. <laughs> it's, it's behaved as a neoclassical economy. Yes, for sure. Absolutely. We'll, we'll, we'll give you money so long as you do X, Y, and Z. As long as you do impose austerity upon your people, etc., yeah. etc., mm. destroy your uh, education system and uh, infrastructure and so on, and and you, you starve to death while you export food. To, a third, to another country. So I, I think the IMF would have been a damn sight less destructive than it's been. Uh, it would have had more power, but less destructive effect. Mm. Um, so that's one of my great uh, regrets uh, in, in, in terms of economic policy, making the American dollar the reserve currency. So on that basis, I'm actually quite... You know, whatever else is, is done in the name of the BRICS, I'm quite in favour of something which breaks the dominance of the American system dollar because we should have done it after the Second World War. We didn't. 
Well, let's we'll do it now. let's have a look when we come back. We'll look at you know what could happen then if if we do get this this breakaway <clears> from <throat> the from the BRICS nation and they stop trading in the US dollar. Yeah. You know, if they if the US dollar goes from forty percent of trade to actually something that just reflects the ten percent of Which trade that actually happens to the United States, yeah, yeah, that's a huge that's change, a big change. Uh, so, w- what impact does that have on the global economy? We'll look at that when we come back on the debunking economics podcast with me. I'm Phil Dobby, Steve Keen sitting opposite me. We'll be back in just a second. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. So, yes, we are. This week we are answering a question from Polar who has asked about, uh, well, he first of all wanted to talk about foreign debt, but also the relationships that be- between the West and BRICS nations and uh, and how if they break away from sort of the monetary system as it currently stands to, to go it alone and we become less reliant on the US dollar. What does all that mean? And so this term BRICS, by the way, I think it came from a, a guy called Jim O'Neill, who was the head of Goldman Sachs. Uh, he had Brazil, Russia, India, and China, and then for some reason South Africa was added to it as the uh, as the the countries that would dominate the global economy by 2050. It wasn't seen as a bad thing. It was just these are the countries that Goldman Sachs in those days mm. was saying were an opportunity for foreign investment. Uh, but those countries now, perhaps they're becoming a, a risk for foreign investment because a lot of these countries are now wanting to really go it alone, really, and starting to talk about trading less in the US dollar mm. uh, and perhaps I mean they could form their own equivalent of you know the US dollar they could do the bank or you know the the bank or equivalent mm. we think about it in Europe we started with the uh, before the euro we started they, they had a there was a trading currency that existed sort the of over the ACU. Mm. So I mean we could have the equivalent of the uh, the a global ACU uh, or or a brick ACU. Yeah. And, and how, thing, would, one, how would that change things? Just one thing. I, I, I also wonder why people come up with such lousy acronyms because BRICS is one obvious arrangement. No, not so obvious arrangement of those five letters. What are you, have you got an anagram? Have Crib. You got an, right. Okay, cribs. It's <laughs> yeah. much more. Where you put babies. They, you know, yeah, it sounds grow. more friendly, you yeah, think, yeah, than BRICS. Well, it's, it's well, also, BRICS is building though, isn't it? But, you know. Yeah, okay. I suppose it's, it's bricks and mortar. Who wants kids anyway? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, okay, we're, yeah, in these countries, we're, they probably think we've got enough of those. We don't need any more. Children, yeah. Ugh. Yeah, so you know, <laughs> um, that, was, uh, that was a very convincing viewer from Steve as well. So, someone who doesn't have kids—that's right—I uh, could get away with it. Yeah. So yeah, so if they so if they did d- develop their own yeah. sort of trading currency, and they mm. said, "Well, between us, we don't well, need to go through the U.S. dollar. We don't. Yeah. We 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 can just 
look after ourselves in terms of our own transactions. And what that would, well, first of all, would weaken the American financial sector, and that would be a brilliant idea. Hmm. The, the, the vampire squid would have two of its, uh, its uh, limbs cut off, which would be a damn good idea. Um, so it wouldn't hurt the rest of America, though, would it? Well, it actually benefit the rest of America. Because the US again, dollar would be worth so much less. Because at the moment, you've got to, you know, you know if, you're, if your demand for your dollar is four times the demand for your goods, yes. okay, then you are going to have an overvalued dollar no matter what. And that means when you want to compete internationally, even uh, despite the fact that you, you know, you, uh, you, you have, you know, like you use the wrong voltage for your goods and services and so on, um, you would have far higher exports and the manufacturing sector of America would be far more viable. So a large part of the deindustrialization of America I think you can be can trace right back to the role of the American dollar as a global currency, and this is one thing which I, I think it was again I think Keynes was one of the authors, but I'm not sure of the, the main authors on this front. It's called the curse of the dominant currency because if your currency is used for international trade, it's going to be overvalued, so your manufacturing sector will suffer, and that's what Britain went through. Uh, when it was you know, before the Second World War, when it was the currency for international trade, so this was a chance to get away from that, and we didn't take it. But if we do take it now uh, by having a separate system, then you have a reduced desire for the American dollar. If you want to buy Saudi Arabian oil, if the Saudis will accept the BRICS uh, proto currency rather than the uh, American dollar, then the demand for American dollars falls, and that would reduce the reduce the exchange value the American dollar, which would be a damn good thing for American manufacturing. So the other thing that BRICS obviously want to do is trade amongst themselves mm. more as well. Mm. So, I mean, we, we talk about, you know, China uh, starting to focus a little more on uh, people closer to them, or perhaps to their way of thinking, you know, trading more with autocracies than mm. democracies. Uh, and what does that mean for the West if we can't get cheaper goods? Well, we might be able to get cheaper goods coming from America now because the dollar is worth Well, the, what would it mean? We'd be paying more for foreign goods. Yeah. Okay, so like one, one, the benefit in that bizarre sense for Americans is having an overvalued currency. You can buy foreign goods at a lower price, mm. and that includes oil. Okay? Now, if you find that you have a, a decline in the value of your dollar, then you've got to pay more for those inputs. Now, America is still... In a global sense, it's the least interconnected economy. I think got the highest proportion of demand for American goods versus demand for foreign goods globally. It's the exports and imports are a much smaller fraction of the American economy than most other economies. So the sheer scale of the American economy, uh, you know, is gross national product is about twenty four trillion. Yeah. U.S. dollars. Yeah, and they Im they import $450 billion. So let's call it half, half a trillion out of that yeah, it's 24 it's, trillion. Yeah, yeah, it's tiny, yeah, whereas you look yeah. at the, the British situation, the, even the European, would be much higher level of imports. So, so it's not is, a big... This is American big, exceptionalism, which has worked in its favour. Yes, because it wouldn't be a big transition for them to say, well, OK, out of that $24 trillion, we're importing half a trillion. We just need to make a half a trillion of extra stuff locally, and we're self-sufficient. So Yeah, well, mind you that the, the industrial development involved in that is pretty huge, and there's certainly a bit of pressure... That anyway, out of the decline of globalization courtesy of COVID. Mm. So, parts of it the Americans wouldn't be complaining about, uh, but they would get an inflationary hit from it. But, uh, you know, for to get away, this is again the usual story America has turned a service into a weapon because for a while, and I think they're still doing it to some extent, SWIFT, which is the 
uh, you know, the communication system used by banks yeah. for international transfers exclusively uses the American dollar, again, because of the international payment system. And they were not letting Russia use SWIFT for a while. Mm. Uh, I don't know whether that's still the case, but that's weaponizing the financial system. And that, again, is something which you wouldn't do if you had a, a proper international reserve currency. So if you had another system, then the Americans couldn't do that anymore. They'd right. be forcing people to use the other system. Yeah, although, you know, if there was another system, then we'd be looking at ways of trying to introduce sanctions against Russia, oh, so, know, you know, yeah. which, whichever way. And, and let's remember, because Russia did, Russia did in, invade a country, of course. Let's, let's remember that. So, you oh. know. But uh, the, the, the idea that uh, those BRICS nations would um, trade amongst themselves, though, uh, oh. with less trade with the West, I wonder how realistic that is. So China has a a trade surplus of more than 300 billion US dollars. Now they could say, well, okay, we uh, we don't want to see that trade surplus go down. So we are going to, I mean, how much would that affect their economy? I guess if they've got a domestic, a stronger domestic economy, perhaps it becomes less important. But they could do more trade with India, um, but they wouldn't see that sort of trade surplus with India because India is also making stuff on the cheap. You know, it's like if you've got a whole load of um, – the problem with these BRICS nations is they're all in a sort of similar position, aren't they? Well, they, this this brings back is, – is, is international trade the engine of growth mm. or is investment the engine of growth? I think you know which one I'm going to say. Mm. Okay, But the neoclassical focus on specialization always says, well, you know, getting a comparative advantage, yada, 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 is what gives you growth. It doesn't. When you look at the empirical data, and this is like Danny Roddick's work is probably the best – Roddick is an interesting character. He he's he's neoclassical in many many ways, but he's well and truly outside the envelope because he looks at the data and you can't put that you can't put the data inside a neoclassical envelope. So he argues that uh, countries which have used trade surpluses to invest are the ones that have grown the fastest, and uh, and that's like the empirical data. It, it, that's true. It's investment that drives growth, not specialization but if you set your economy up so you get more revenue out of trade surpluses and you invest that then you're going to grow faster so if you have a uh, the BRICS forming a, a pack together, uh, it isn't whether the, the, yeah, they get more trade out of it, it means whether that leads to more investment Yeah, so, so they, they produce more stuff, sell more, standard living improves Again, everybody. Again, the whole you know, talking growth and a <laughs> in a globe that has to contract at some point. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. We, but yeah, perhaps not what we want to do. But so foreign direct investment in China has actually been growing. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in, in 180 billion US dollars added in 2021, uh, the biggest investors uh, were Singapore, South Korea, Virgin Islands. Suspect there might be a, a investing in China. In, or, yes, yeah. I don't think it might be Virgin Islands themselves. I think it might be coming out of bank accounts in the. I Virgin think it Islands. might be some interesting bank accounts. Yeah, there, yeah. Uh, Japan, USA, Cayman Islands, perhaps for the same reason. Oh well, it's a huge country. <laughs> you know, the Cayman Islands takes you at least an hour to get around the main island. And and did I, did I tell you that when my my um, uh, holiday with my first wife, we actually went to the Cayman Islands. And one thing I wanted to go and do was visit the building that I knew that news corporations a supposed global head office was in. And we got to this little whitewashed two-story uh, <laughs> building in the heart of whatever the capital is, the Cayman Islands, and there were 30 or so brass plaques on the wall, and the place was empty. <laughs> 
<laughs> so someone goes around and collects the post once a week, perhaps. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. To, to pick up the checks. Yeah. yeah. Wow. There we are. So, okay. So this, uh, my point was though that from a lot of these countries, there's foreign direct investment still happening in 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 China. Yeah. Helping to grow the Chinese economy, which which uh, I wonder whether that will slow down if we start to see this this BRICS divide happen. Does does China become uh, too big a risk for for foreign investors? And does that you know? I, I think that's independent of what happens on the financial system. Um, but what what you have in those countries is much more of i mean the the difference in those countries is a focus upon national development that's the, whereas you get the west is focused on the obsession upon efficiency and uh, and optimization um, it, it's a very very different mindset when you say you want to grow the economy you, you know you've got to increase the living standards of the majority of your population so that gives you a very very different focus upon investment out of that rather than a focus upon Portfolio optimization, which would come out of the out of the West, so I could see that being something which did benefit those economies because it would, not because it would mean more international trade, but because it would mean they would be more focused on achieving domestic investment. And China, of course, is doing a lot of investing in other countries as part of an influence policy through the Silk Road. Yes, and, the, and Road they're doing in Africa mm. as well. Mm. Um, so you know, uh, and and this, when you want to explain it, you've got to go back centuries because the Chinese colonial system uh, was not to have a colony. It was have to, to conquer a country or to let them know if they didn't kowtow, they'd be conquered, and then install a ruler who was... Um, uh, I've forgotten the actual term. It'll come to me halfway through the bloody radio broad, maybe on the next next program. Uh, but you would have your vassal, okay, your mm. vassal installed, and the requirement of the vassal was tithing back to the Chinese. So if you didn't send gifts back to the emperor, you might find a fleet uh, in your port a few months later. Um, so there was an income flow, but there wasn't political dominance. Um, so now they're doing it as sort of the capitalist version of that, investing in the rest of the economy, putting you know, Chinese workers are doing the investing, Chinese goods are being purchased to do it. So it boosts the Chinese economy to provide what they call foreign trade. But it gives them a level of influence uh, in each of those economies. So they behave very, very differently to the Americans. So and what, what would happen if China was to say, because China accounts for about 18.5% of global GDP, so more than the US, which is about 16, less than 16% of GDP now. So, I mean, China is a bigger economy than, than the US is, supposedly. Mm. I mean, it's, it depends how it's all measured, but I mean, they're pretty close. But if, if China was to say, you know, just as America says, well, you know, everyone's trading in the US dollar, what if, what if China was to say, well, okay, we only want to trade in one? We're going to no, buy. No, that, that, then that's one reason I like the BRICS proposal. They're not talking about a single currency. Right. They're talking but, about a basket but of currencies. I know, but China is so much bigger than everybody else. If they, could, they could say, well, forget, forget about the rest of the BRICS. Well, that could undermine them to some extent because then they've been appreciating currency mm. and uh, not have the same you know, relative currency advantage. If the Americans lose the... Um, the same know, thing would happen to China. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Yes. They'd get an appreciating currency and be less competitive uh, in international trade. So it could actually backfire in that sense. Now, the, ultimately, the only solution is you have everybody's currency backing a single international, and that was the Bancor. Mm. So the one reason I'm particularly in favour of the BRICS going ahead is because if there are two, uh, that is infinitely better than one, and it's heading towards a stage where there's none. But would they... And do you think... 
even though they might be doing it to, to establish trade amongst themselves, we'd all suddenly find that actually we are using it as, as well. I guess we'd have to, wouldn't we? I mean, if we were buying stuff from China then, well, that, that could they'd be, be saying, well, you've got to buy it in uh, yeah. in, in the BRICS currency. You'd have a different currency, you'd have a different international transfer system. Mm. I mean, it's becoming anonymized for us these days anyway. I mean, I use a, a phone called, this is, this is not a paid promotion, but I use a firm called Wise yeah. for my international payments. Mm. Works very well. I also use Wise, yeah. and there are sponsorship opportunities available if anyone from Wise oh, okay. is well, listening. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, no more endorsement now for free. Yeah, but, yeah. Okay. but that 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 means I don't really even really like you know my paying in in BART when I'm getting a house built in Bangkok. I'm paying in euro when I'm paying. Yeah, so my long rates. as the, so long as the it doesn't really matter because as long as the transfer costs are low. Yeah, and this, this and they is, are. They are. With wise, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but um, but they, they, I think a, a huge part of the reason that people like wanted a common currency for a euro, of course, was the transfer cost every time we bought. Yeah, which is irrelevant now because yeah, we've all we've all got cards on, yeah. a, on, a, on a consumer level, absolutely. Mm. But it's it's when you're starting to to use a currency. For, for, that is a common currency, even though you're not trading with that country. Mm. So that, then that becomes a that becomes the nonsense. And that's where you start to get the elevated demand yeah. in and the, then you the get price the, for that. And currency. you get the power of the financial sector and the diminution of the of the capacity of the country to have a manufacturing sector. Right. That's what brought England unstuck. Yeah. And it's sort of brought America unstuck, but America being so much bigger than Britain and so much like the. The natural advantages of America in terms of having a one gigantic market, but also the huge open plains. Uh, there are no mountain, major mountain ranges to negotiate. You've got the Rockies and the, the Appalachians, but they're nothing like uh, having to cross the Himalayas or, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the division, the, the scale of the country enables that enormous privilege that they've had. And that countermails a lot of the stuff I'll talk about, saying, you know, advantage, disadvantage. Uh, they're starting off with a huge advantage, but China has the same advantage, that enormous open plains. So, you know. So the big difference is probably, I mean, I'm wondering how much practical difference it makes. So if I was buying a whole lot of stuff from China now, say we were going to have debunking economics T-shirts, what a fantastic idea that would be, mm. uh, and mugs and, uh, and and signed photographs of Steve Keen. Uh, <laughs> and we were going to go in big in production and then we were going to get it all produced in China. We'd be paying in Chinese currency for that anyway. We'd yeah. be transferring our pounds or... And we wouldn't be extending the American financial sector to do it in the first instance, yeah. which is what we are doing if we actually decide to go ahead. But if... But if the yeah, so but 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 by and large, I mean, but the, it does sort of get down to oil and commodities by and large. Yeah, and that's it? that's a huge part of it. And like the the Saudis have well and truly got the Americans tied up in knots right now. And the Saudis are the main you know, oil exporter, apart from Russia and America itself with fracking. Um, so yeah, if if you break away from that then you in some ways you're weakening the whole of America over the oil industry. So if the and oil industry without says, the oil industry there wouldn't be capitalism. Right. And so if the oil industry was to say well okay we we're a bit sick of everything trading in the uh, in, in the US dollar the mm. petrodollar uh let's just sell oil in the BRICS currency cuz they're more friendly cuz they you know cuz they don't believe in democracy either. 
you know, the, uh, <laughs> we would, you know, autocratic. Let's not like, give America too much of a reputation for democracy. <laughs> That's true, too. But, you know, these autocratic nations standing together, I mean, they could say, well, yeah, OK, let's, you know, we want to break the West a little bit. We yeah. still, we still, clearly they're still going to have to sell because, you know, because we want to buy stuff from them yeah. and they're going to do it cheaper than we can do it ourselves. Mm. And, you know, I think that there is that point that China and India are not necessarily going to be great bedfellows in terms of in terms of trade because they're two big populations uh, wanting to, you but know. But very, very different industrial levels. And mm. I think you'd see a lot of that. I mean, China trying to invest in India um, is a, it's hardly a low-wage centre. You know, there are some things which India is much more effective at than China, and one of them, of course, involves the English language. Mm. Uh, so, you know, call centres, you don't expect a Chinese call centre, you do expect an Indian one. Um, so so there are some potential ways in which China could could benefit computer, out of computer that. Computer programmers and that Computer programmers too. Mm. Plenty of Chinese ones and that as well, but you know, again, many, many more Indians. So there's there's ways there are ways in which there can be synergies between those economies which could be enhanced by having a common trade common trading currency and not having to go through the American dollar. Yeah. So where do we fit in all of that? Where do how does England. that yeah or, or just the West generally? How does it change? Apart from the U.S. financial sector being I, damaged by it all, that does makes it, the financial, American financial sector less powerful? I think is a good right, thing for the rest of the world. We've established that, but what about everything else in terms of international trade? Does it actually change too much? Not a, not a great deal. It might, it might change the the pricing of oil, but I think what matters far more in that area is environmental issues, not uh, not pricing. Mm. I mean, but how does it change the price of oil? So if if they, well, you'd now be buying it through, you know, it, the, the, you'd be buying it through the brick financial system rather than through the American. But in terms of the value or the price that you ultimately no, pay, is it maybe gonna... not. I mean, mm. yeah, it's uh, but you know, just you know, anything that breaks, it makes Goldman Sachs. Uh, more Goldman sucks than I'm in favour of it. <laughs> and the way of, of solving any of the discrepancy would actually be to go back to the bank or wouldn't it? Yeah. That's what I see this thing as a, a step towards. I mean, you know, there's so many things I want to see achieved in policy which are never going to happen. Uh, but one of them being a bank or and a step in that direction is to have more than one international currency system. So I wonder if you got President Xi and uh, Vladimir Putin uh, together uh, and said, well, okay, this is the way we think the world should go. There has been too much dominance in the US dollar. We'd like to, we, we, we can understand why you're trying to go, you know, you'd want to break off in another direction. Mm. But why don't we do this on a global scale and have a, a, a currency that nobody owns? Uh, I wonder whether Mr. Putin would say, well, that's a big step forward. Maybe I'll settle with my boundaries as they were before. And what you then have is, well, I mean, because you always cause peace in the Ukraine, I'm not going to hold my breath on that front. But, uh, yeah, you could easily have countries saying, well, I want to sign up with a bank with this BRICS system so long as my currency is part of the basket. Mm. It's a thought, isn't it? I wonder whether it'll happen. Well, I think we're going to... Overwhelmed by events is more likely my expectation there, but this would be one change at the global level that I'd actually be happy to see. Yeah, well, we'll keep the pressure. I mean... There's only a few thousand Pressure. people listening to us, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know that three thousand could be ten million in 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 ten years. I don't know. It's going to take time, isn't it? All right. Okay. Very good. We'll leave it there for now. Good to talk, Steve. Hopefully, that's answered some of uh, Polo's, Polo's questions. questions. I hope so. uh, some yeah. of the, some of the, the other part of his his email, by the way, uh, was isn't it amazing that we still pay more for a liter of milk or soft drink than petrol? Uh, this is changing. Perhaps more likely could cause a slowdown of waste by making people think more about what is essential. 
energy is the shock we need to have to change what we are doing. Well, the thing a- is, without energy being the shock, we wouldn't have capitalism to begin with. And this is the, this is the key issue. Mm. Cheap oil, cheap energy is the foundation of our society. It always has been. Yeah. Uh, and the search for cheaper and cheaper energy sources is what's driven human industrialization over time. Well, so look- it has to be cheaper. Yeah. You pay full cost, then you, you wouldn't have... You, you couldn't make a profit. Um, but that's the trouble. We've now got ourselves in a you know, climatic situation where we can't continue doing this. So we this. should be paying the full cost. So look, I mean, that's yeah. it. We'll, I'll add that to the list. That's the second part of his email. I'll add yeah. it to the list. We've got quite a few to get through. So it's going to be a few weeks before we get back to that, Polar. But we'll look more about And Steve will love that because he, yeah, he loves talking about energy prices. So yeah, we'll, I hate we'll, it, we'll, but I've got to talk about it. <laughs> we'll talk about that in coming weeks. That's it for now, though. Good to talk, Steve. Mm. The Debunking Thanks. Economics Podcast. 